In November 2022, the World Health Organization renamed monkeypox to Mpox. This was in order to fight stigmatization surrounding the name. Combating shame and stigma surrounding Mpox is one of the primary goals of this series. As this was recorded prior to this change, this episode will feature references to the original name. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Monkeypox. That's what we're here to talk about. And the virus is changing. The rate of transmission is up, and doctors in Africa have been trying to raise the alarm bells for years. The symptom list used before the outbreak moved out of Africa is different to what we see now. Take my experience. About four days into isolating, I began to get some pretty intense pain in some pretty personal areas. After spending 24 hours in agony, I called 111 for help. They got me an emergency appointment at a local GP, and I had to cover up my lesions and wear a mask, which were reasonable requests. But the response I got was less so. I was greeted with what could only be described as panic. I then watched as staff used hushed tones until I was finally ushered into a room by a doctor in full PPE only to then have to talk to the doctor on the phone, through a door. After being asked if I was gay and how did I catch it, without even examining me, which is why I went there in the first place, the panic led them to put me in an ambulance. Eventually, I ended up at A&E. They worked out that the monkeypox had caused an infection, which needed antibiotics. I've heard similar stories from people who suffered, and I don't think it's of any fault of the incredible staff who were, at the end of the day, just trying to help me. So what has the response been? And why were these doctors running around trying to work out what the pox was going on? It is temporary. Above all else, that is what I remember that got me through it. We need to make sure that gay and bisexual men have access to the vaccine. What I'm seeing a lot in the media are quite stigmatizing messages. If people were always you know, doing exactly the right thing, then there'd be no STIs ever in the world. It does beg the question, if this was affecting heterosexual white people, maybe wouldn't be in this situation potentially. It is the job of a sexual health doctor, of an infectious disease doctor, to give people the ability to have the type of sex that they like with as low a risk as possible of infectious disease. Welcome back to What the Pox, the podcast with monkeypox stories told without shame or stigma. In today's episode, I want to find out just why this experience of mine was so tough, because I suspect it has very little to do with the people I met along the way. 
and all to do with the system they're probably fighting within every day. So what was it that was getting in their way? First of all, it's important to know that the UK response to monkeypox has been funneled through sexual health services. Which makes sense, right? That is one of the key reasons for transmission. But does that make sense to the experts? Let's find out. When we first started to hear about monkeypox back in late April, early May, it was affecting really small numbers of people and those numbers increased really, really quickly. That's Mark Thompson, sexual health expert and co-founder of Prepster. There was a lot of work happening behind the scenes to try to define a response. And that response was around, one, getting information out to the groups most affected. So at that time, and still is gay and bisexual and other men who have sex with men. Secondly, it was around trying to procure and get vaccines out into the community and get those into people's bodies because that could reduce the risk of transmission and therefore picking up monkeypox. So we in the community were ready to get involved, which in public health work is often the hardest bit to inspire. But the services weren't quite ready for us. Or at least they weren't given the resources to be. Why not? As you probably know, as we all know, if anyone who's ever tried to get an appointment at a sexual health clinic, we know that um, it's very difficult. It takes sort of weeks before you can get availability. Sarah Malindua, nurse at 56 Dean Street. Whenever there's any sort of budget cuts, unfortunately, sexual health services are at the top of the list of budget cuts. And so we already, before any sort of, you know, virus like monkeypox, you know, hits the population, we already have problems with people accessing services. So even just a routine appointment, or if you've been in contact with an infection, or if you have other symptoms outside of monkeypox, it's a lot harder to get an appointment than it was before. I mean, it was already difficult, but now it's getting increasingly harder. So just even accessing basic uh, sexual health services has become a lot of an issue now. So what we've done as well, we encourage, we're trying to encourage people to do more, more home test kits for sexual health screening. Um, and the reason being is that we try to avoid people to come in into clinic and um, just for potential, you know, spreading the virus. So we, we, you know, just just as we did during COVID and trying to encourage people to get tested at home and send home home test kits and things like that, which are great. But I think the problem with that, I find, is that there's certain things that you just can't. Sometimes you need to talk to somebody about something. Sometimes you just need that human interaction and you can't get that with a, with, a, with a home test kit. Other times, you you know, you might just want a, a general sexual health screen, which is fine. But my fear is that I don't want it to get, I don't want us to get too used to home test kits and ha- and people not have that availability and that access to healthcare professionals where, you know, sometimes you might just want a general checkup, but you also might have a question. You might just want to have a chat with somebody and you can't, you know, you, you, that opportunity is taken away from you. And so what we're finding is that people, you know, they just can't come into clinic or they finding it harder to get an appointment. Um, So it's definitely had a knock-on impact on services, for sure. And this human interaction point is exactly how I felt, particularly with a new virus that's changing that we don't fully understand. And as anyone who's had sex and tried to get an STI test in the last decade will know, sexual health services are crazily underfunded. So how has this impacted the response to monkeypox? So the the medical response to monkeypox has been absolutely brilliant. That's Will Nutland, co-founder of The Love Tank, a leading sexual health organisation here in the UK. And I'm really impressed by not only how 
um, staff in the National Health Service have stepped up, um, but also how um, epidemiologists, public health experts in places like the UK HSA have also you know, been working across weekends and um, you know, late into the night, early mornings um, to try and um, puzzle out what's going on. And I really want to pay tribute to all of those, uh, all of those people right through from uh, people working in local authorities, uh, public health departments, people who work in UK HSAs, local regional offices. And I want to pay tribute to those um, frontline staff who are working in sexual health services because they have really borne the brunt of dealing with, um, with monkeypox. Our sexual health services um, are poorly funded. In the UK, sexual health services are funded through local authority health budgets, which differs to the way a lot of the other parts of the National Health Service are financed, which means that when a particular local area does not have a lot of money to play with, things that they perhaps deem less important in their eyes, in this case, sexual health services, often go without. So if you add um, this kind of perfect storm of... Um, of David Cameron's austerity cuts, um, 12 plus more years of, uh, of Tory um, um, cuts to public health services and to, and to all sorts of services um, with the absolutely appalling leadership um, of people like Boris Johnson and the absolutely um, scandalous silence of um, ministers who work in, um, in, in the health departments um, this has created a perfect storm to um, to give the most um, frustrating, incompetent uh, response to to monkeypox. Now, now, when I say this, I'm I'm in no way apportioning blame um, either to the NHS staff. I'm not apportioning blame to the great people who are working in UK UK HSA. But what monkeypox has done is really shone a light into the cracks and the fractures and the poor lack of investment in our public health services and infrastructure. This podcast comes out just after the Tory leadership contest. We have a new prime minister, Liz Truss, but on the entire campaign trail where trans rights became political football, not one of the candidates mentioned monkeypox. For people who are trans and non-binary who need to access vital care from all sorts of positions, whether that's mental health care, whether that's care to do with gender-affirming surgery, gender-affirming hormones, whatever it might be, it's harder and harder to access those things. Broadcaster Shivani Dave. The way that trans people and non-binary people can access this care is also coming under the media spotlight and becoming villainized and becoming the target of harassment and hate. You find doctors who do provide trans-affirming care to people being trolled and even doxxed on the internet, which is a heartbreaking thing to see. And it's like there's almost a coordinated attack to try and eradicate the healthcare that trans and non-binary people can access. And that comes from all sorts of different things, all sorts of different angles. It comes, it's to do with underfunding, it's to do with transphobia in the UK, and so much more. What happens is there is this inequality where people who are able to pay, go privately, can get the care that they seek privately, and they can access care with shorter waiting lists and more urgently, whereas 
if you are stuck on this NHS system because you don't have the ability to access care because you might not have that disposable income or you might not have a suitable hospital or doctor that is within access to you, then you're on these waiting lists to try and get some very basic healthcare for months, years, you know, we're even seeing that reach up to decades in some cases for some people, depending on what the care they're trying to access is. It's a combination of things. It's a combination of like being in a postcode lottery when it comes to having a GP that even knows how to refer you on to the specialist care that you might need. It's down to how old you are when you realise that you might need some of this care. It, it's down to the people who are around you who can spot the kind of care that you might need and see what it is that might be going on with you healthcare wise that needs to be addressed if you are one of the people who falls through the gaps i.e you're not living in a big city and you're not in an environment that is supportive of you then you're lost you're lost in this system and it's scary what could happen. My concern is if the, if we don't sort this out now, if we don't put things right with monkeypox, that not if but when the next um, infectious disease outbreak happens, whether it's focusing on gay and bisexual men or any other marginalised group of people, we are going to see exactly the same shambles. And we need a root and branch restructuring of how public health is organised. We need a root and branch um, restructuring of how those services are funded. We need millions of pounds pumped into our sexual health services to help them stay afloat, to help them be fit for purpose, to help them modernise. And, and without that, then we are going to see exactly the same situation happen when we see the next public health um, infectious disease outbreak. And that's the thing about monkeypox. Though in this show we're looking at the nuances of what the response to the virus has meant, it once again paints a bigger picture of the issues at play when managing infectious diseases. It's why so much of this feels familiar to HIV, and even COVID. And it means those who need information and access to vaccines, they're the least likely to get it. One of the things that we've seen repeated again is inequity around access, information, treatment, diagnostics, all of these things we saw with the HIV epidemic in the 1980s, we saw it with COVID and we've seen it again with monkeypox. We haven't seen as large an uptake of the vaccine when it was available in black, brown and migrant men and men who don't speak English. And we've seen this in PrEP, we've seen it in HIV treatment, we've seen the HIV testing. All of these things continue. So how do we fix that? Well, we need to make these things much more accessible and be where people are. And I think that the great example is that when we saw those pop-up Supervax events happening in central London, really, really public, and those were great. But when we looked who were in those, who's, who were in those queues, and then we went and spoke to people who weren't in those queues, Lots of black and brown men, trans and non-binary people were saying, I couldn't go there because I work. I couldn't afford to get there. If I'm in that queue, I might be seen by my family. There were all of these different things. There were some trans and non-binary people who were saying, actually, if I've gone to the clinic, people are misgendering me. They're not understanding what my risk is or what my needs are. They think this is just for cis het men. 
So again, this is where the inequities kind of play out. And these are the things that we need to be fixing and addressing. And these are the lessons we should be learning. But here's the good news you don't always hear when we talk about these issues. We have the tools to fix these problems. We just have to use them. So what are they? That's after the break. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So what we've tried to do to try to address some of these inequities in the community at the Love Tank is to go out to community. So we've done two events. Mark Thompson. They're under the radar, right? So we're not promoting these to the wider community. We're not putting them on social media and say, come along for the vaccine. They're highly targeted. They're very specific. So the first one we did was at a pop-up event that we'd already organised for South Asian men in Shoreditch. That was a separate event. And we were lucky to secure 40 vaccines that day with a local NHS trust. And that worked really well because the guys that came along were offered vaccine and they were able to take it. We were able to vaccinate a number of volunteers and a number of staff in the venue we were at, which is a queer venue. Then a couple of weeks later, we worked with the same NHS trust, Bart's, with a doctor there and with UK Black Pride to have a bus, which was specifically set up at the UK Black Pride event um, on the 12th of August and we vaccinated 260 men at that event. Now, what was interesting about that wasn't just the fact that we were giving the vaccine, but at least 20 to 30% of the men who we vaccinated were not connected with any sexual health service or GP or primary care service at all. So if they hadn't come there that day, not only would they have not have got the vaccine, they would not have known things like PrEP is available for free. You can have a HIV test. If you're positive, you can get your treatment in this country for free. So not only were we giving out vaccine, we were using it as an opportunity to address some health inequities around other areas of men's health and their sex lives. This is a great example of how targeted care that trusts in the lived experiences of communities most at risk delivers every time. And this is just one local example. What about the bigger picture? We know that monkeypox isn't just something which impacts us in Northern, Western Europe and and in North America. It's been around a really long time. It's been in West Africa for a really long time. And we are just starting to take notice. I think that how, what, what we can do going forward, if we think about the vaccine, for example, we are fighting really hard and have been to get vaccines in 
the north in the global north, right? What we should be also doing is trying to make sure that there is global access to the vaccine. There wasn't a big fight for monkeypox vaccine in places like Nigeria prior to this outbreak in the global north. So I know that lots of activist colleagues of mine around the globe, even those ones who are working and fighting hard for the rights of queer men, are asking for vaccine access globally. And I think that we can make direct links to the HIV pandemic is that we fought long and hard for treatment access in the global north. We got it. And then the next battle was the global south. And that took years. And what we should have been doing is fighting for that collectively from the get-go. And this is what we can do from, from the beginning. We should have learned from HIV, right? Sarah Melindua. You know, my thing is prevention is better than cure. So something that's been endemic for 50 years, um, we should have known that it's a, it would only have been a matter of time before it came over. There definitely is a, you know, there's a, a running theme of the people that it affects and how quickly they act. So if there's something that's affecting, you know, people of colour, there's something that is, that's affecting um, LGBTQ people. So, you know, it's, it's affecting marginalised groups, groups that are originally mar- marginalised. So it does beg the question, if this was affecting heterosexual white people, maybe there would have been things in place a long time and they wouldn't be in this situation potentially. Um, And, you know, that's, that's not an opinion. You can just look at history and see how, you know, the patterns that we have. We're one big connected world now. Like sexual health issues in Africa will become sexual health issues here too. Respiratory diseases that start in Asia will become issues for us here as well. Like you get the picture. I think there are loads of parallels we can draw from from COVID. There are loads of parallels we can draw from decades of work in sexual health and reproductive health, and of and of course um, with HIV. Will Nutland. I spend a chunk of my time working at an institution that um, explores global health, and so whilst I three months ago knew very very little about pox, I do know um, a fair bit about. Um, how we globally address or don't address infectious diseases when they are predominantly impacting on people in the global south. And so for me, what really sticks in my throat is that um, quite rightly, we are calling more global vaccine um, uplift on the production of of the vaccine that's being used um, to to prevent monkeypox is actually the smallpox vaccine. And quite rightly, we are are shouting for vaccination production to be uplifted and to help as many people as possible who could benefit from that vaccine to receive it. But for me, the thing that I really find painful in these conversations is that there are thousands upon thousands of people in other parts of the world um, who have been impacted by monkeypox for decades, and yet only now are we starting to talk about how we might tackle it. It's um, a scandal that it took white cis gay men, um, predominantly, who are who are kicking off quite rightly about monkeypox to illuminate the fact that there are people in other parts of the world um, who should also be recipients of. Um, not only this vaccine, but recipients and beneficiaries of of access to global research and global um, development of treatments and vaccines for the very many infectious diseases that don't impact on those of us in Europe or North America, but absolutely blight the lives, the health and the well-being 
of many other people around the world. And it, it makes me want to puke that it takes these infectious diseases to creep across Europe before we globally start paying attention to them. And so for me, if anything, um, monkeypox is not only a wake-up call about how we sort out our really screwed up public health system um, in England, but it's a wake-up call about how we do global health, how we respond to um, infectious diseases, how we respond to poverty, how we respond to um, minority health, including women's health, LGBT health, um, migrant health, because none of this is going to go away um, with um, global warming, with conflicts um, increasing around the world, um, with um, the um, global travel, people traveling for, for holidays or, or for work, um, we are only going to see more infectious diseases that have usually historically been contained to one geographical area being seen in parts of the world where we haven't expected them to be seen. So we need a, a proper um, resourced global response to infectious diseases. And this is our wake up call now that this has to happen. Changing big issues like this can feel insurmountable, but they're all just choices by people. And people and their stories, they have such great power. This is why after I was thinking about penning an anonymous column for Queer AF, I ended up deciding to make this podcast instead. At D Street, we know that, um, so with monkeypox, we know the community that it affects. And so what we're doing is we're targeting um, places where we know gay men will be and, you know, communities in terms of like, maybe we'll go to the bars and we'll do advertisements in local communities in Soho. And we'll work with magazines, making that extra effort to, to, to put the advertising and let the communities know. And then even getting people like such as yourself, just speaking about it. And I think it's so important, um, especially for somebody who's had it, because it's, it is becoming more and more common. And then just give that platform for people to say, okay, you know, it's not, that bad is you know and and we can sort of um destigmatize it as well i think the more you talk about it and the more you're open about it and say look i've had it because it's, it's like catching you anybody can catch it right so there's no shame in saying i've had it i will also not be the only one that remembers and still sees those lateral flow social media pictures and the almost day-by-day -day threads and updates about how well or not well they were doing where have those been for monkeypox I get it right. It's slightly different. And no, I would not have wanted to post pictures of my lesions. So how do we find the monkeypox version of this? Here's what Will Notland had to say. We should also positively um, encourage each other to be in touch if one of our sexual partners develops um, symptoms of monkeypox or is diagnosed with monkeypox. It's a kind, respectful thing to do to let our sexual partners know um, if we've potentially um, exposed them to something that we've just been diagnosed with. So I, I, I want us to create a or re recreate a culture where um, where we have these conversations. When we say to someone, "Let me just make sure you've got my phone number or or my grinder profile or whatever else." And actually, if I do find out that I've got monkeypox in three weeks' time, I'll, I'll let you know. And could you do the same? I'd really appreciate if you do the same for me. And we could do that without blaming. We can do that without finger pointing, um, because it could be that actually that person gave me monkeypox. It wasn't that I gave them monkeypox. There's all sorts of um, you know ways that that, that different infections um, can be passed around without us being blaming. And what I've been saying to folks is that um, the way 
the way we respond to someone when they when they tell us that either they have monkeypox or syphilis or chlamydia or whatever else, the way we respond will impact on the way that they um, whether they tell other people in the future. So if we respond with care and with grace and compassion and we thank that person for being brave enough and taking the risk to share that information with us, they're more likely to uh, tell other people who need to know. If we're judgy, if we're bitchy, if we're cruel, if we're gossipy, that person is less likely um, to tell someone else in the future. So I want us to use this as a chance of of rebuilding, nurturing community norms where we we communicate with each other and we and we care about each other, and I think most of us are really great at doing that. But of course, in order to get there, we need to tackle something else first: the shame so many of us feel about queer sex. Next week, we're going to unpack the shame. Growing up in our society, you know, where we constantly hear negative things about being gay, bi, queer, whatever it is, in whichever way that you might identify. Lots of us, not everybody, but a really significant number of us internalise those negative uh, words and expressions and, and internalise it as a kind of, as a form of kind of toxic shame and makes us not feel very good about ourselves. If you've got monkeypox, it's not your fault. If you catch monkeypox, you've done nothing wrong. If you're still wondering what the pox is going on, you're not alone. And by the end of this series, you won't be wondering that anymore. With thanks to this week's voices, Mark Thompson, Will Nutland, Shivani Dave, and Sarah Malindwa. What the Pox is a Queer AF production, produced by me, Martin Joseph, and executive produced by Jamie Wareham. Queer AF is a community interest company, and all of their profits and assets are locked into the work that they do, supporting queer creatives like me to build and grow media careers whilst making content like What The Pox. So tell a friend about the show. We hope that if more people understand the issues we've covered, then we'll all be better prepared to ask those in power to make the changes that we deserve. Visit queerafcom forward slash whatthepox to find out how to listen ad-free and to get early access to episodes. We are Queer AF, and so are you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.